You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, crafting a study plan that works for you. We're joined on the show today by Blake Eastman. He's the creator of Beyond Tells, the world's largest and most comprehensive study ever conducted on poker tells. He's also the owner and founder of School of Cards, where they've spent the last 12 years creating a highly effective evidence-based approach to live no-limit poker education. He's also the founder of the Nonverbal Group, a behavioral research and education company that combines technology, research, and real-world experiences to teach a skill set that has been lost, the art and science of reading people and the process of behavioral reinvention. I'm thrilled to have Blake on as a guest today because he's the perfect person to speak to both the theory and application surrounding how people can best develop a study plan that works for them and put systems in place to help them achieve their goals. Blake, welcome to the show. And before I kick it over, Dell is surprisingly joining us. He's not supposed to be here this month. He's so busy working, but he came on special because he wanted to do a little bit more introduction to you, sir. Take it away, Dell. Yeah, I think that anybody can Google and find out all the stuff that you just read about Blake. And it's all important stuff. I think it's all really awesome. But I think we have a different relationship with Blake. And I have personally never met Blake. But the funny thing is, is he's had a profound influence on my life. And that's why I wanted to make sure I was here, if not for the whole show, to at least explain how I feel about Blake. This is a person that is driven to improve the world in a positive way. And it comes out in everything he does. He's helped me understand my son better. He's helped me navigate things with my wife better. He's helped me improve myself as a human being and how I interact with others. And he's done all that from thousands of miles away. I'm looking forward to the day I get to meet him personally. And he's so much more than what you said. I'm a little bit of a fanboy. I'm in awe of him all the time. And we do communicate a lot through emails. And that's one of the things that's so different from him. I've dealt with other people that are always trying to sell a product. And, you know, Blake takes and promotes himself. And I don't blame him. But the reality is he'll respond to the emails. He reads every one of them. I know he does because he responds every time I talk to him. I'm amazed that he does that. I'm amazed who he is as a human being. I'm amazed at his drive. And, you know, I spend every day trying to be a little bit more like you, BJ, and a little bit more like Blake, the doers of the world. And you guys amaze me. And I just thank you so very much for joining us today, Blake. That means a lot, man. I really appreciate it. Those are extremely kind words. You've both been amazing students always. <laughs> like you just... I think part of the problem with poker is there's a plan and there's following a plan. And sometimes it's hard because you got a plan, but you can't follow it. But you've all been both very receptive towards learning and always enthusiastic about improving your game and expanding as people. I love you guys, but I'm going to go. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate the kind words. Thanks for the surprise cameo appearance. Did not expect you to see you. Take care, man. (laughs) So I think the main problem we're trying to tackle here is twofold helping listeners understand what they need to study, and then providing listeners with solutions and tools to help them develop a plan and stick to it. Okay. Those are two distinct things. And I know in both School of Cards and the Nonverbal Group and Beyond Telus, which is kind of like the combination of both of those, mm-hmm. you've excelled in both of those areas. Yeah. All right. So a couple things to say first. So first, Like a lot of things in life, I think poker is a very interesting landscape in terms of education and plan. Right now, if you were to go online 
and you would decide to like, listen, let's say you want to run a marathon. You can go online and find top expert marathon runners. And for the most part, what they're going to advocate is going to be very similar, right? They're going to advocate that you do a certain zone level training, and you're not going to see that much variability between those two things. Whereas poker, on the other hand, one of the biggest problems with it is you've got a lot of bright, intelligent people that got into the game, were incredibly successful, and they had their own path to the top of the mountain. And what they tend to do is preach their path to the top of the mountain. And then you'll read another person and they'll preach their path to the top of the mountain. And the reality is the problem with poker is unlike a marathon where whatever you put in, you're pretty much going to get. So if you wake up every morning and you put in the miles and you put in the work, like you're just going to get better. Poker, you may not get better. Yeah. If you put 10 hours of studying in, you might be studying the wrong material. You might be focusing on concepts of the game that are so inherently interconnected to more foundational or basic concepts that you're just wasting your time. You might do everything right and then just get smacked in the face by variance. Or you might have the most sound mechanical game ever, but It's your emotion and focus and tilt and blind spots that you have there that are unable for you to apply what you know. So there's just this massive gap in understanding and application, which makes the game one of the most interesting things to coach. And it's not easy. You're dealing with money, you're dealing with resources, you're dealing with time. So from that perspective, we have always maintained that the right approach to the game is developing a path or plan that works for you. And you need to sort of go through that and figure that out. And it's hard because there's so many voices, right? Like there's so many really good players that are explaining something and there's such a desire. Like if we were to talk about biggest mistakes, I think one of the biggest mistakes is players will focus on buzzwords and then want to study whatever the newest buzzword is. Like, oh, like they heard some players say a solver. So they're like, okay, now I got to Google, like what's the best solver and figure out a solver. And and they're still not even breaking a profit at like one, two. And I think that there's a lot of voices and you're pulled in a lot of different directions and you really need to find which voice works for you. So like, I know some people that push them towards one camp, others towards another, depending on sort of where they're at. So first just wanted to acknowledge that it's not simple. Like, I wish I could say like, wake up and do 10 hands a day and go play for an hour. And like, no, I just having a call with someone the other day, I was running really bad. And I said, listen, what you want to do is when you get back into poker, You want to use poker as a vehicle for training your ability to reframe things in life. And that's what worked for him. That connected to him. Other people would be like, I don't care about life. I just care about the game. So I think it's just real complex. It is complex. And I think when you talk about what voices you want to follow, what voices you want to pay attention to, I think it helps to talk about what study is not. Because I think a lot of people think listening to podcasts such as ours or watching YouTube videos or even just reading books in your spare time counts as study. I'm not just making that assertion up. I can easily think of two players I know personally in my circle that actually think watching YouTube videos counts. Yeah. But it's passive. And just passively consuming content is not effective unless you put it into practice. But I think that even gets to a deeper point. Before we even think about developing a study plan, we need to acknowledge that there's a mountain we need to climb. We want to climb that mountain. 
You had mentioned there are several paths to the top of the mountain. Some people might not even realize they need to get to the top of the mountain. It's like that joke, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. Mm -hmm. Unless that poker player really wants to change, are they going to? Yeah, yeah. How do we get through that initial breakthrough? Like, hey, you need to study. Not just what to study. You need to study. I think it's really just a conversation around the reality of a situation. So most players are just completely disconnected from the reality of their profits or their time commitment or whatever. So it's like, if I told you, hey, BJ, I've been training to run 30 miles next week. And you go, how long have you been training? I said, oh, I've been training for the past year. And they say, oh, what's the longest you've run? And I said, oh, three miles. You'd be like, listen, man, something's going wrong with your training. Like, right, right. You should be moving up there, right? And I think because poker is such an emotionally latent game where people don't want to admit that they're losing, we tend to hide out in a lack of clarity. We tend to use statements like, oh, you know, I wasn't really playing serious the past couple of months, so I'm not going to go really count that. But like, you want to be faced with the raw reality. A, how much time do you spend consuming poker content and talking poker and revolved around poker? B, how much time do you play poker? And C, what are your profits and then d what is your emotional satisfaction and happiness with that like when you have those four variables you get a really good understanding of a player so for example one player is like oh like over the past year i've spent 100 hours watching vlogs 200 hours playing i've lost ten thousand dollars and i'm having the best time in my life it's like okay you're not profitable but you're enjoying the pursuit that's a lot different than like can't stand this game and i just got to get better or i have to pay my rent like there's a lot of really mismanaged expectations with players and it's kind of pretty wild to see like if i walked to somebody else's job and they were like a car mechanic and i was like yeah i want to be a car mechanic in three weeks and i want to make 80k you're doing this they'd be like are you crazy but for poker, people think it's different. Yeah, yeah. And it's just not, you know, it's so much more different. But you need to decide, yeah, what does looking at the top of the mountain look like for you? And you need to be honest with yourself. A lot of players lie when I ask them this question. Like, what do you want to make? And they're like, uh, you know, I'd be happy with 20K, but really they want to make 100K. That's the real number, you know? Yeah, yeah. Managing those expectations is key. Like you had mentioned, if I'm playing and I'm having the time of my life, I'm a losing poker player, mm -hmm. but my goal, my objective is to have fun. Do I really need to even become a better poker player? Mm -hmm. Maybe not. No. No, no. No, you should just have fun. Yeah, yeah. But if I need to, if my goal is to improve, so our listeners know I pay for my car, I finance real estate investments, I do some vacations, you know, I buy those things with my poker money. I would like to do more of those things. So I do have a vested interest. I have a, an earnest desire to get better. Mm -hmm. So for me, yes, I do. Once we realize that we need to study, how do we figure out what to study? A few episodes ago, we actually had a conversation with Matt Vaughn, and he shared with us that many times when the coach and the pupil talk mm -hmm. in the beginning of a coaching relationship, it turns out that what the people thinks they need to study really isn't what they need to study. But barring hiring a coach, how do we actually go about figuring that out? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think the best way to do it without having a coach, it's not easy, but the best way to do it is to look at every decision you make at the table, starting from preflop, and identify what you're not absolutely sure and 100% positive is the right action. So for example, if you first sit down at the table and let's say you play 2-5 and you sit down at a live table 2-5 and you got you know, stacks vary between 100 to 200 big blinds, right? And you're dealt pocket aces in middle position, right? Like I think everybody listening to this 
right now understands that they know that that hand needs to be erased with minimal information about their players. No one can argue that there is any other action but raising. Now, in some game dynamics, you could maybe, I don't even think you could argue this, but like limp raising or something like that, you can argue for different sort of lines. But with minimal information, you have to raise. But the second question is, but I don't really know how much. Should it be a 3X open? Should it be a 4X open? Should it be a 5X open? That's the first thing you need to work on. You don't know how to think about preflop opening sizes because you're not sure what that should be, right? And then maybe that means that you're just, you don't play two five much and you don't play live games much and so on and so forth. But then we could take that a step back and we could say, let's give you a hand like pocket fives. Like, what do you do with that? Let's give you a hands like jack nine suited. Let's give you a hand like ace five suited. And now we're looking at how confident are you in the, in the baseline action of the construction that you're currently using. Yeah. And I think if players approach that, I think they'd see that they don't know what they're doing the majority of the time. And listen, for me, myself, the answer, if I was sitting at a table and you'd be like, Blake, you know, pocket five is the middle position, that dynamic. My answer would probably be a lot more robust. I'd be like, well, you know, this given dynamic based on what I see in the table and based on blah, blah, blah. I'd have a reason though. And I'd be very confident in my decision to do whatever I need to do based on that dynamic where some players go, I don't know. And you will find that on the bottom and top side of players' ranges, they know what they're doing. But if you look at the middle portion of it, there's just so many rampant mistakes. I love the perspective of taking stock of how confident you are in your decisions and not the results. Yeah, not result-based. Because so many times we could say, oh, well, I'm clearly good in this position because I make all this money. I'm 100 big blinds positive if you look at my tracking spreadsheet because of X, Y, and Z. Those results don't mean anything. You could have won all that money by making the worst decisions possible. But if you're confident in your ability to make good decisions in various situations, that would indicate you probably don't need to study that area. One clarification on that. It's a mechanical reason why you're doing what you're doing and the confidence that that reason is correct. So you should be able to defend it. Like, why should I raise king? I don't know, second best hand in the game. Uh, it's not good enough. You need to be able to defend your position confidently with the hands that you're willing to open, with the hands that you're willing to three bet. That's how you know you know what you're doing. So that would make me think that a vibrant poker community, or at least a circle of friends that I could trust to bounce these ideas off of, would be a good resource. Because if I just raise pocket kings without really understanding anything about why I'm doing it, and I win, I'm going to reinforce the belief that raising pocket kings is a good idea. Well, it is, but <laughs> let's, well, it let's is. give Jack it nine. Is, yeah. uh, Right, right. Yeah. It's going to reinforce the action, but it's not going to reinforce the underlying fundamentals. Right, right, right. But if I can talk to someone and they drill me with these questions and they get to the why and I'm not able to answer it coherently, that's a blind spot. Yeah. And it might be a blind spot that you're not going to uncover until and unless you talk about these hands with others or a community. A hundred percent. I mean, I think the community aspect is another tricky aspect of poker because in a sea of opinions, how do you know who's right and who's not right and so on and so forth? So you also have to have confidence that the players that are around you know what they're doing and you don't want the margin to be too big. So for example, if you're playing two five and your cousin is crushing 500 a thousand there's definitely something that your cousin can teach you 
but you'd be surprised that you'll probably have more success with a coach that is playing two five regularly and crushing those dynamics because they understand the landscape of what you're going to be faced way different than a private game nosebleed stakes is going to understand. And I think things that happens with peer groups is ego and everybody else's blind spots. Like I've seen some peer groups that are so bad, man. Cause like just being in poker education in this business for so long, it would be like, I already got a group of friends that talk poker. I was like, all right, screenshot your WhatsApp, send me their discussion of a hand. And like the guy posts a hand and it's just like a terrible line with no articulation and he should have check folded flop a hundred percent of the time. There's no reason to continue. And everybody's validating that it was a bad beat. And it's like, you guys are missing it, man. And that's the danger of poker is that there's a lot of blind spots. Yeah, there's a big difference between a vibrant poker community that can hold each other accountable and an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I did a video about that once that was talking about that. You see this stylistically too, even amongst like one of the cool things is because of my work with Beyond Tells, I work with a lot of world-class, really top players that come from different camps, like more quant-driven approach to poker, more old school driven. And you get to see how they all think differently. They think the same are probably around 80% of the things were the same, but then there's that 20% that really makes them exceptional in their own unique way. And the accountability versus the eco chamber thing is two different things entirely. So I've struggled with this challenge. I probably still struggle with it. You know, I'm a systems guy mm-hmm. and you know that early on in my poker career, I had so much that I wanted to learn that I tried to learn everything yeah. and I just crashed and burned. Even having the most systems possible won't always stop me from biting off more than I can chew. Mm -hmm. And if I take on too much, I'll get overwhelmed. I'll skip a day, end up skipping another day of study. And then the next thing you know, I'm binge watching Bob's Burgers Mm -hmm. instead of doing any poker study at all. Once we figure out that we do need to study and we've identified the spots that we're confident in, we've identified the spots where we're not confident, where we can't justify our actions, where we don't have a good, coherent, clear thought process. How do we not bite off more than we can chew? How do we curb our enthusiasm? I think consistency over everything. I'll take someone who studies 20 minutes a day consistently over someone who's going to do two hours on Saturday, 50% of the time. I really believe that. And I've got actually a pretty decent amount of research sort of suggesting that like our, for Cash Game Fix, it was an hour a day, five days a week. We found that to be the highest level of advice. Like, listen, just for the next three months, you're going to study the game an hour a day, five days a week. If you can't do that, don't take the course. And I've seen people do that 20 minutes. I've seen people cram on Saturday, but for the most part, a consistent practice of improving your game is just going to have so many, even if your life is super busy right now and you got 10 minutes while you're on the toilet bowl, just because you got to stay in the conversation. That's what happens for me, right? Right now, in order for me to get back to a level where I feel personally competitive, it takes me 40 to 50 hours of on-table play. So if I were to go out right now and play five hours every day for 10 days, I'm like, all right, I feel back. But if I just jump into it, and I've been around this game every day since I'm 16 years old or 17 years old. It's been a part of my life every day. So it's warmed up. But a lot of players will study, drop off for three months or four months, come back. It's just very, very difficult to get better like that. You got to keep it consistent. It sounds like time management is a big skill to have. So first of all, yeah. if you're spending 10 minutes in the toilet, you probably need to eat more fiber. Yeah, definitely. Second of all, if you can schedule and maybe coordinate with your spouse, your friends, your family, whomever, like my wife knows, typically at 6.30, 6.30 p.m. is my study time. Mm-hmm. And right now where I am, I just started a new job. I got a lot of stuff in flux. I can pretty much dedicate a good solid 20 minutes, 30 yeah. if I'm lucky. 
So from 6.30 to 7, I can be on the laptop studying poker. I was victim of biting off more than I could chew. Mm -hmm. And I figured out to throttle that back and only focus on the one or two things I need to bump myself up. Like that 80-20 rule. What 20% do I need to study to get me the 80% bang for my buck? And that's what I'm doing. And it's on my calendar. I don't know about other people, but I'm kind of tethered to my calendar. If it's not written on a calendar, I won't remember it. Yeah. Period. Whatever medium, like I'm a big believer in the calendar as well, but whatever is going to establish your consistency. Some people are list people. All right. I have a list of things that I do every day. Like the best way is to have a date and time in a calendar that's consistent. Second thing is to have accountability for that thing. People are holding you accountable to that time period. And third is reframing it as something that you're excited and passionate about. Like if you hate studying, you're not going to be a good player. If you hate to study, like I have some people, oh, I just don't like studying. All right, well, you're always going to have a ceiling then because this game's changed. I think I've heard you talk about this, the drop-off effect. It's when people want to study and then the material they're studying just flat out gets hard. And there's a reason it's hard. Yeah, there's a drop off with math and courses. We found that. And every week when we track it, all right, we're introducing math. We're showing how to calculate equity against a range, I think. I think it was a regression course. And it was something ridiculous. 92% engagement up to that specific video. And then it dropped from 92 to like 30. Wow. A third of people just dropped off. And listen, it's not quantum physics. Now, I'm not mathematically inclined. I never was. But it's something everybody can figure out, right? It doesn't matter if you went to school or not. You could figure it out. And there's a certain grit and there's a certain persistence there. And I think that other mistake players make is you don't study the math of poker. It's just math is the language that is used to represent the EV of decision-making at the poker table, right? That's what you're using math for. So that's how I know players don't know what they're talking about. Sometimes players will email me, and they'll send me a hand breakdown. And in the hand breakdown, there'll be such precise math. I was getting 1.93 to 1, and I knew I needed to call 17.3% of the time in order to make this call profitable. I'm like, yeah, you're not doing that at the table. No. Right? No. So I know that they're spending too much time in that retro-based breakdown of hands and spots. And it's like, you're probably focusing on the wrong thing, man. You shouldn't even have been in the hand in the first place. This was a fold. It's those kind of things that I think really prevent players from even with the perfect schedule the perfect plan think about it a lot of things need to go right right yeah you need to have the right mindset you need to have the right plan you need to be able to dedicate enough time in your life to actually walk that plan and then you need to have enough time resources cognition and financial security to implement that on the table this is why i believe the number is 99.6 percent of players lose money over the long run I think the number is so much higher than 90-10 or 95-5. I've been in this industry for so long. Most poker players, most people listening to this thing will lose money playing poker over years, over time. The things that you just mentioned run the gamut of pretty much every single facet of life. Yeah. If you're financially comfortable. Okay, finances, pretty darn important. I mean, you're playing with real money here. It's not monopoly money. Yeah. If your resources don't allow you to put that money at risk, you could lose it all. In what you would consider a bad B is just variance, but whatever. You could lose it all. If you can't withstand that, then your resources don't support your objectives and you know all that stuff. So that's finances. Your nutrition, your sleep, your physical health, yeah. that all bears into how well you can perform at the table. I've been at the poker table 
Typically, I will only play a four, five, maybe six hour session because I've noticed a significant drop off in mental ability after about the five hour mark. That is significantly attenuated if I've slept poorly, if I've eaten poorly, if I haven't exercised lately. I might be good for only two, maybe three hours tops. Mm. So, finances, physical health, mental health, emotional health, if you're preoccupied with whatever from work, family, stress, those will all bear on your ability to perform at poker. You know, life's a game. There's sort of edges, right? If you're super smart and you're just naturally inclined to games and you have a lot of raw analytical power, you're going to do good in poker probably, right? And you jump into it and you start really learning how to play poker. And let's say you're a decent player. It's like, all right, if you don't sleep, you're going to slow down, but you're so good that it doesn't matter. I work with some players that for a one given game, they don't sleep, they're fine. But if it's two nights, if it's three nights, it's not possible. You're going to fail. I've seen that. And I've also seen that with financial stability and relationship. This is anything in life. Like if you don't sleep, you're not going to be successful at anything. It's going to be harder. There's also always exceptions and always different dynamics. But for the most part, listen, if you want to be good at poker, you have to have your together. Most people don't have their together, so they're not good at poker. Most people fail in pursuits in life for the same reason. How many times do people say, oh, I'm going to do X and don't do it? You know, I'm going to lose that 10 or 15 pounds this year. And they don't. This, this is no different. The only thing about poker that sucks is that the game gets so complicated because you could convince yourself that you just got unlucky. Yeah. There's not that many few things in life that are like that. And that's what makes it tough. So we've talked about what study isn't. We've talked about how to realize what you need to study. We've talked about choosing your own path up the mountain. There are multiple paths. You got to figure out which one's right for you. Mm -hmm. I'm sure in your experiences through both School of Cards and the nonverbal group, you've seen tons of examples of people that have just taken quickly to the material and the surrounding advice and guidance. Mm -hmm. and others that have frankly struggled. What sets those more successful people apart? There's a couple things. So first of all, I think the people that are successful are more grounded in reality, always. Mm. So like, I guess, oh, I'm going to make $200,000 this year. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not, oh, you're not going to do that this year. It's not possible. When people come to me with really realistic expectations, that's it. I think success in an other vertical or area of life is a good predictor of success in poker. So for example, entrepreneurs I've noticed have done better because the skill sets that are required to be an entrepreneur, in my opinion, are also required to do well in poker. Professional athletes, very serious collegiate athletes, or some sort of trend of a work ethic and dedication. So if somebody's been successful in their career, I'm like, all right, you're probably gonna be successful in poker if you apply the same level of focus, attention, dedication, so on and so forth to the game. So I think a good predictor of whether or not you're going to be successful at poker is have you been successful in other pursuits of your life? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Have you sought out to create something or build something or conquer something and have done it? And if the answer is no, poker's going to f*** you up, man. Because of all the things, like right now I'm training to run, I'm running a 30-mile, 60-obstacle course race in like three weeks. And poker's way harder than that. <laughs> Because poker is not just march forward. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not just keep doing it. Just keep sitting at the table and you'll make money. No, you keep sitting at the table, you're going to lose money. So there needs to be a lot more stuff working for you and you need a lot more support, a lot more effort. You know, being in the business of poker for so long, it's funny. It's like they want to make $60,000 in a year, but they won't spend 
2k on material it's just like all right whatever man good luck best of luck to you you know and i i spent a lot of emotional energy and time trying to convince players that i didn't even know writing long emails like no you can do it da, 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 da. And I started realizing that these people need a lot more help than just some guy writing an email to them. You need to get your life and your foundation straight. And I've been there. I've been in periods of my life where I wasn't able to perform at the level that I needed to because of the fact that I had a lot of things going on and things were out of integrity and loose. And and I really don't think that players understand how important that stuff is. Well, I hope they will after hearing this episode. So... Blake, thank you so much yeah. for taking the time out of your day to join us on the show. Of course. I'm also glad Dell could join us. He has some good heartfelt stuff to say. Yeah, it's cool. I guess you've had a pretty good impact on him, huh? Yeah, it was very sweet of him. Yeah, very sweet of him. And I appreciate it, Dell. Thank you so much. All right. Well, take care, Blake. We'll see you around. And until next week, take stock of your game and find some ways to create your own personal study plan. This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours.